Practical wisdom from the first leader of the Christian Church in Jerusalem. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we study James and how to put our faith into action. We left off yesterday in the book of James, chapter 3, and today we're going to go to James, chapter 4. And chapter 4 about James talks about quarreling. And it's a very fascinating subject that we're going to get into today. And I think to start, let's just go ahead and read James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is a great section of scripture. And I don't even know if we'll get through it all today, but we will do our best. James is talking about fighting and quarreling. And you all know what fighting and quarreling is, right? When was the last time you had a fight or a quarrel? Can you think back to this morning or yesterday or whenever the last time you had a fight or quarrel in your life was? Now, fights and quarrels aren't bad. I'll I'll say that just right off the bat. Sometimes we have to stand our ground and we have to speak what we think and we have to, we live in a society where we have to live with other people. And so sometimes other people, conflict with us. And so we have to go back to them and we have to resolve that conflict and say, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. These are the things that you did that are causing me problems. And so we've got to work this out. I mean, that's life. That's how we live together. So that's basically where quarreling and fighting comes from is when somebody violates our way of living or things in our life. And so when they do that, we quarrel and fight. Now, not all quarreling and fighting is bad. There are times, like I said, when we can go and explain to somebody, this is what you've done and this is why it's a problem. Bosses do this to employees. Spouses do this. Children and parents do this. Teachers do this. This is part of life is talking to people about these things. But I think that what James is talking about here is a different type of quarreling and fighting. What James is talking about is quarreling and fighting that are based upon something within us. To to kind of preface this, when you have a problem with somebody else, Matthew 18, James says, go to that person and tell them how they've wronged you. And 99 out of 100 times you will reconcile and you'll hug and you'll go away as friends. That is the way to do it, not to quarrel and fight, but to go and sit down and have a conversation. Now, with a child, you can't necessarily sit down and have a conversation because children are children. They're not thinking rationally yet as children. So sometimes you have to use punishment or some sort of physical thing to get their attention. I think the popular thing today is probably timeouts. You have to do something to get their attention so they can understand why what they did is such a problem. But we're talking about adults here. So in the adult world, basically we let people leave us alone and we leave people alone unless what they're doing transgresses into what we're doing. And now all of a sudden we have to have a conversation. 
And when and Jesus says that conversation should be like this, go to that person, and explain to them why it is that what they've done is causing you a problem and work it out. And then if it doesn't work out, which the vast majority of time it will, but if it doesn't work out, then you accelerate it or take it to a higher level. So we know that quarrels and fights happen between people. But what James is talking about here is quarreling and fighting that is more me-centered than it is kingdom-centered. Perhaps that's the best way to explain it. Quarreling and fighting that is more me-centered than kingdom-centered. And listen to what he says. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? They're inward desires that are causing these quarrels and fights, whatever these quarrels and fights are. You desire, but do you not? Do you do not have, so you kill. Now, I can't imagine that any of you have ever killed anybody out of your own desire. It does happen. There, that is probably the main reason why homicides happen. Homicides happen because of jealousy, perhaps. That might be one reason. But another reason why homicides might happen is because somebody has something or somebody's done something that impacts what we can have in our lives. And so, therefore, we kill so that we can have more in our life. Now, Jesus did talk about killing and how he redefined it from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not kill. But Jesus took it one step further on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, You've heard it said, well, I'll show it to you. This is Matthew 5. He said, You've heard it said a long time ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anybody who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This is, this is the language of Jesus. Basically, you should not murder somebody. And murdering somebody is basically belittling them, sometimes being angry with them. Those are the things of which murder are consisting of. And so, when we're talking about here in James about, about murdering, sorry about that, um, what causes, you desire but you don't have so you kill, you covet but you're not because you want because you quarrel and fight, we are talking about a broader sense of just murder by itself. We're talking about murder in the sense of a Christian person in the kingdom of God, which is basically don't belittle people, don't necessarily be unnecessarily angry with people, that those types of things also fall under the category of murder. So it's not just killing. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You murder, but you get angry with them. You belittle them. You do all the things associated with killing that Jesus talked about. Now listen to this. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And I, I guess I wanted to spend a lot of time on this whole coveting thing. The interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is that most of the commandments are outward things that we do. But some of the commandments talk about issues of the heart. For example, honoring your mother and father. That is, a, that is something It can be a very physical thing, right? If your parents tell you to do something, you honor them by doing it. But it's also 
an emotional, an emotional thing, a thing of the heart, where honoring the mother and father is basically placing upon them the honor that they deserve. It's a thing that we do. We honor them. Another one of the Ten Commandments is do not covet. Do not covet thy neighbors. Well, and I have that one also here. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male, nor his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's what coveting is. Now, why is this a Ten Commandment? It's like, why? Most of the Ten Commandments, matter of fact, almost all of them, except for, for a couple, like do not bear false witness, do not steal, do not kill. These things are basically affecting our neighbor. But this one in Exodus 20 has nothing to do with our neighbor. By coveting your neighbor's house, how does that harm your neighbor? Or coveting your neighbor's wife or servants or his donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Like, how does that hurt the neighbor? My, I have a neighbor next door. He's putting in a pool. So if I covet the fact that he has a pool and I don't have a pool, how does that impact him at all? And the answer is it doesn't because this particular commandment of the Ten Commandments has nothing to do about our neighbor. It has everything to do with the condition of our heart. God gave us the Ten Commandments so that we could live together. It's, a, it's rules for human beings to live together so that they can. But this last Ten of the Ten Commandments, not coveting the neighbor's house and the servant and the donkeys and anything else that belongs to the neighbor, are more about us. They're more about our heart and our desires. It is not healthy to live your life coveting or wanting to possess everything else that everybody else has. That is not a healthy way to live your life. The healthy way to live your life is to look at the blessings that God has given you to prioritize them, to look at, at what he's given you. For example, if you have, if God's blessed you with a job that gives you X number of dollars, then what the healthiest way to live your life is to create a lifestyle that matches with the money or the resources that you've been given. And if you want to have more resources than what you've been given, you have two choices. You can save or you can, or you can get a side gig or you can, you can in, get an education or learn a trade or do something that increases the value of your labor. These are the things that will make you healthy and happy in life. What will not make you healthy and happy and healthy is to sit and stew about the fact that everybody else has so much more than you and you have nothing. That will cause you to go insane. That's why God puts this commandment down. It has nothing to do about your neighbor. It has everything to do about us. And this is so needed in our society today because we have this thing in our society that's keeping up with the Joneses. And the way that we can keep up with the Joneses is to get large lines of credit and we go out and we purchase things so that we can show that we have as much as the Joneses have. And my friends, that's just not a healthy way to live. The healthy way to live is to balance the things that are coming in with the things that are going out. And if you can do that, you will live 
a very wonderful, happy, healthy life. And if you don't do that, you will spiral into, into problems. Now, it gets more complicated because of, well, I might be showing my cards here a little bit, but it gets complicated because of government. Because we as a society says say that if you're going to have things, they have to be a certain way. They have to be a certain safety standard. So if you there are places in the world, believe it or not, where you can buy a car that is that is very inexpensive. There, there are places in the, where you can buy a car for brand new car for two to six thousand dollars. You say, how is that even possible? Well, it's possible because they are stripped down versions of a vehicle. They have an engine, they have a steering wheel and a brake. That's about it. Those cars are not for sale here in the United States. Why not? Because here in the United States, we have a standard that says if you're going to drive on our roads, you have to have a certain amount of protection around you. And so we add a whole bunch onto the price of a car that brings it into the tens and the twenties and the thirty to fifty thousand dollar range, right? And even the difference between a $20,000 car and a $50,000 car is basically just its appearance, has nothing to do with safety. And so we as a society create within ourselves this standard about how we must live. The same thing goes true with housing. The same thing goes true with food. The same thing goes true with all the basics and necessities of life, like how much should we spend as a society on education? And we want the very, 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 very best education. And so we spend lots and lots and lots of money on education. And there are some places around the world that spend a hundredth of what we spend on education. And they maybe get some percentage of the education that we have here in the United States. It's all a matter of, it truly is all a matter of just balancing the resources and we just have never, as a country in the last hundred years, done a very good job of balancing how much money is coming in and how much money is going out. And that's why we run a deficit all the time. And as you can tell, I'm not big into deficits. I, I believe that the governments should not run deficits. I'm, I'm way out in left or right. I'm not sure which field I'm in on that one. But it is completely beyond my control to ever, ever affect that. So I never, I never, I, there's nothing I can do about it. So I don't do anything about it. If I were, if I were in charge, I could probably fix the problem, but because I would want to fix the problem, I'll never be in charge. So there, how's that? <laughs> and my voice will get washed out by those people who love the, the government handouts. All right. So this is the problem. It's the root problem of Many, many, many things coveting our neighbor's house and our donkey and our, and our, and our things. And that, that goes back to what James is saying. What causes fights and quarrels? You fight and quarrel because you, don't, because you can't get what you want. So you fight and quarrel. And then he says you do not have because you do not ask God. And immediately I know what you're thinking. Well, it says right here in James that if I want a new car, all I have to do is get out of my knees and ask God, hey, can I have a new car? And poof, a new car is going to show up. That's not what this says. It may appear that way if that's the way you want to read it. But it says you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures, right? When you go to God and you say, God, I really want a million dollars. 
what is that saying? It's saying, God, I would really love to have the million dollars because if I just had a million dollars, I could pay off all my debts. I could, I could have enough money to survive. I could live in the lap of luxury. People would look at me and say, wow, there's a guy who's, or there's a gal who's, um, who's really got it together. Look at all the stuff that he has. He must live his life a very, very well life. And yet, time after time again, people who win money, win the lottery, five, 10 years down the road, they're completely broke and destitute and even less happy than they were before they won the lottery. So we know that's true. But that's not what God's talking about here. What God's talking about here, what we don't ask God, we don't have because we don't ask God. Well, what would we ask God? Well, in the prayer that Jesus taught us, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, align my will with your will. Help me to understand what your purpose is for me on this earth, being an ambassador for the kingdom, and then let me use all the resources that you've given me to further the kingdom. Let my will align with your will. So if you go to God and you ask, God will tell you, here is my will for you. It's that you be the ambassador of my kingdom in the world today. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what the, the, the overarching thing is about your life. Everything that God has given you is to basically be used to support and to expand and to be a part of his hands and feet in the world around us. And when you ask God for those things, he will tell you how to use what he's given you for the world around you. And there may even be times that he will bless you with resources that he wants you to use in the world around you. And then he will tell you what to use those resources for. You can go to God and ask these things. But don't go to God and say, God, I really need $50,000 for a new car. That is not, that is not what, he's not going to send a check in the mail to you for $50,000, I guarantee you. Now, you could go to God and say, listen, God, for the purposes of the kingdom or because you want me to live in this life, I really need a car and God may bless you with something like that. Uh, and I'm not denying that and I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying, though, is that what is wrong is coveting your neighbor, looking at your neighbor, and trying to live beyond the means that God has given you. Same thing goes with churches, right? A healthy church is one that takes all the means that they have, and they look at the things that God's called them to do, and they say, okay, God, this is what we're going to do with what we have. That, that is, And every church can do that. The churches that get into financial trouble, right, are those that covet what other churches are doing. And they say, these are the things that we have to have in order to be keep up with the Joneses. And so they don't get those resources. And so they'll go into debt or they cause problems or anger or fighting or quarreling or all that sort of stuff. A church is simply a collection of Christians that gather together under a mission. Ours is to make loving disciples so that we may be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. And so all the blessings that come into the congregation, we take a look, we evaluate those, and we use them as best as God has called us to use them. That, that's basically, and falling into problems of a church are basically when you don't make the hard decision of how to reconfigure or restructure things so that you can live within the means that God has given you. 
that that is that is what makes churches happy and complete and healthy and gets rid of fighting and quarreling and all those things. I mean, in your life, it's the same thing. If you have a family and the husband and the wife come together and they're overspending, they're going to quarrel and they're going to fight. And what are they quarreling and fighting about? Because they want more than what they've been blessed with. And so these are the things that cause quarreling and fighting. And if you go to God and you ask him, he's not going to give you a check. He's going to say, here's what I've called you to do. Now go do it with the resources that I've given you. That's, th- this is such good advice from James. What causes fights and quarrels? It comes from our own desires. Quarreling and fighting at its root is about us. It's about us not having what we want. It's, not, it's about us not getting what we want. It's about us not getting our own way. It's about our motives being more about us and, and elevating our position and power and influence in the world around us as opposed to Jesus. And if you put Jesus at the center, put Jesus at the hub, or you put Jesus as the main thing and the kingdom as the main thing, it completely changes our thinking from what can I do to make me look good? What can I do to have, may have my life be pleasurable and all those things to God? How am I going to use the resources you've given me so that we can further the kingdom together? Let me be your hands and feet. When that's the, when that's the center, you can, then it doesn't matter what you have because you can always turn it around and use what you've been given to, to expand the kingdom, right? I think of Paul, the Apostle Paul sitting in prison, no longer able to do his missionary work, and yet he was able to share the love of Christ in the middle of a prison, love the people around him in the middle of a prison. He probably had back at home some resources that, that he had left with his, with his family, and they were probably holding on to those for Paul. And when he gets back, maybe you know he can use those, but he was never coming back. He was in prison. So none of those were available to him. The only thing that he had was the clothes on his back and the food that people brought to him. That was it. And he was living in a prison cell, a dungy, dinky, rat-infested, disease-infested, boils-on-people's-body-infested prison cell. And you'd think it'd be a pretty miserable existence in a prison cell. I would think being in a prison cell today would be a miserable ex- existence, but I can't even imagine what it'd been like to be in a prison cell at Paul's time, in a Roman prison. And even in a Roman prison, he was able to write beautiful, flourishing letters to people, and to talk about their faith and to share with them and to use what resources. The only resource God had was that somebody had come into him, and he could either dictate a letter or write a letter, and he could get it out to people. That's the only thing he had, and yet he did it. And he was loving the jailers around him. He was caring for fellow prisoners around him. All of these things he did because the main emphasis wasn't on him and his own pleasure, but his main emphasis was on following God and being in the kingdom. So submit yourselves to God is a good, is a good title of this in James 4. Because basically what it is, is, is coming to God and saying, God, everything that I have is yours. Let me use it for your kingdom and for your glory and your work. And when you do that, when you do that, 
it will greatly, vastly impact how many quarrels and fights you have in your life. You may not have any. The only quarrels and fights you'll have in your life are when other people impact your ability to spread the kingdom. That could be a quarrel or a fight in your life that might be worth fighting because we still have that mandate from God to to be his hands and feet. Well, there may be times when the world prevents you from being the hands and feet of God. And so it might be an appropriate time to have quarreling and fighting on that sort of thing. But the vast majority of the time, that's the way to get rid of quarrels and fights, to not make life about you, but to make life about other people and about your kingdom impact in their life. And when you do that, you will live the best life that Jesus has for you. And you will reduce or eliminate all the fights and quarrels in your life. So I think it's a little bit early. It's a couple minutes early, but that's kind of the end of a cadence of, of James 4 verses 1 through 3. So I think we'll end it there. Uh, so let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for every blessing that you've given me. Lord, help me to align those blessings with you and your kingdom and help reduce the quarrels and fights that exist because of looking inward and not upward. Be with us today until we gather again. In Jesus' name, amen.